You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Our scripture lesson for today comes to us from the book of Hosea, chapter 14, verses 1 to 8. And if you'd like to read along, you can find us on page 739 in your pew Bibles. After I read the passage, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll be invited to respond, thanks be to God. Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all guilt, accept that which is good, and we will offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. We will say no more, our, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forest of Lebanon. His roots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow, they shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. Your faithfulness comes from me. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, open us up to the guidance of your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, my name is Ken Sanu. I'm a parish associate here at UPC, and I have a confession to make. I am a comic book junkie. <laughs> it's true, ever since I was a little boy, I've always loved comic books. While I was in seminary, I, had, I was fortunate enough to have a roommate who had this humongous box of comic books, and they were just, it was just jam-packed with X-Men comic books from issue number one all the way up to the present. I spent a great deal of that semester reading every single one of those issues. Even today, when my wife and I go on vacation to Manchester, Vermont, and we visit the Northshire, Northshire bookstore, I head over to the comic section, where I can either catch up on my favorite characters or be introduced to new ones. So. I'm excited that so many of my beloved comic book characters have come alive in recent movies. And I get doubly excited when a comic book movie actually manages to make a solid theological statement in the midst of all the action. <laughs> Which is what happened a few weeks ago when I went to go see the movie X-Men Days of Future Past. In that movie, a young Professor X proclaims, 
Just because someone stumbles and loses their path, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. That's pretty good. See, I've been studying the book of Hosea this summer in preparation for this sermon, and my ears perked up. Because that quote summarizes the main message of our passage from Hosea chapter 14. Hosea shows us God's remarkable love, a love that's forgiving, nurturing, and healing, a love so deep that it will not allow God to let his people go. That's good news for Israel, because Hosea prophesied during a time when Israel had forgotten its covenant with God. Israel's unfaithful behavior included idol worship of Baal, the fertility god of the Canaanites, and even the horror of child sacrifice. Go read 2 Kings chapters 5 to 17 to see for yourself. In response, God could no longer delay his judgment. However, as Bruce Birch says, Hosea makes clear that judgment does not exhaust God's character. God's love speaks the final word. And Hosea does all of this through use of some of the most imaginative imagery in all the prophets. The most vivid imagery is when Hosea marries Gomer after being told by God, go, take a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits great harlotry by forsaking the Lord. Israel couldn't see what she was doing, so God chooses Hosea to act it out for her. In short order, Gomer bears three children, two boys and a girl, all of them with peculiar names. The first child is named Jezreel, which means God plants or sows named after a place of beauty that had been marred by extreme violence and mass murder in the past. So it'd be analogous to naming a child today Auschwitz or Hiroshima. The middle child was named Not Pitied, and the baby boy got the worst of all, Not My People. Can you imagine what these poor kids went through every time the roll was called at school? Now notice, there's a terrifying progression here in the sequence of these names. The first announced the future when Israel would have to live without a king. The second, a future without God's compassion. And the third, a future without God. But in the midst of this bad news, there's good news as well. There's reason not to lose hope, even though there will be judgment, for God is, after all, a God of justice. However, the last word will not be judgment. The last word will be love. Faithless Israel will have to pay the price for infidelity, but the marriage will be saved. 
Just because someone stumbles and loses their path, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. The central message of Hosea is this. We turn to the Lord. The word return occurs at least 15 times in the book of Hosea. The Hebrew word literally means to turn back. Like an unfaithful spouse or a rebellious child, Israel is guilty of sin and deserves judgment, but God is not finished with this relationship. That's the main point of our text for today, Hosea chapter 14. This chapter contains two related but distinct sections. The first is verses 1 to 3, and that's where God is calling on Israel to return to him. The second is a section in which God promises salvation and life to Israel. It begins in verse 4 with a declaration that God will heal their disloyalty and love them freely. Let's take a closer look at several of these verses in our passage. Verse 1 says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. The imperative return here signals a new beginning. In this context, it seems to me that God is not so much commanding Israel as he's pleading with them to return to the road they had left. The call to return lets Israel know what they need to do to have life and declares that God is leaving the door open for them. And then in verses 4 to 5, God says, I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. If they return, God will heal them and be their God. This promise is conveyed through an image from nature. God will be like dew to Israel. In earlier chapters, Hosea used the image of dew negatively for the fleeting nature of the people's love for God. It dissipates as quickly as the morning dew. But here, the image is used in a positive sense. In Israel's dry and arid climate, dew is essential for the flourishing of life. The abundance of dew is absolutely necessary for plants and grass to have life and growth. In fact, dew was later used in Isaiah as a symbol of God's power to raise the dead. So as the dew gives life, so God will give new life to his people. In response, the effect of God's love and healing is then described in terms of flourishing plant life. Listen again to these verses. Israel shall blossom like the lily. He shall strike root like the forest of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive tree and his fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow. They shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. These verses abound in botanical imagery, um, word pictures of plants and shoots and gardens to describe Israel's new life and restored relationship to God. This choice of images may be an intentional rebuff 
uh, to the worship of Baal, which promised fertility but brought death. A crucial difference in these images is that the people flourish and not the land. I love this image of flourishing plant life because it reminds me of the power of life. My concrete driveway at home has a number of cracks in it because tiny plants keep growing in them. Now, whenever I see these plants, I yank them out because I hate the cracks they make in my driveway. But it does make me wonder, how can these tiny plants break up concrete? Because these plants have life, and life is stronger than concrete. God offers life, love, and hope. Hosea says the day is coming when Israel will return to God and he will receive them. Israel, the adulterous wife of God, will be restored in grace. In a number of ways, Hosea foreshadows the coming of Jesus, beginning with the theme of salvation. It's appropriate that salvation is the overarching theme of Hosea, because even the name Hosea means salvation in Hebrew. It literally means Yahweh saves. In fact, Hosea shares the same Hebrew root as the word Hosanna, which means save us now or save us please. And Hosanna is the word that the psalmist uses in Psalm 118 when he says, save us, we beseech you, O Lord. It's the word, the crowd shout out on Palm Sunday when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Lord, save us now. And not only does the name Hosea mean salvation, but Hosea is actually an alternate name for Joshua. And the Greek form of Joshua is Jesus. That's why when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, he told him that Mary will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This line could be translated, you shall call his name Savior because he will save. It's in God's nature, it's in his DNA to save. Whether it's through the prophet Hosea calling on Israel to return to him, or whether it's Jesus hanging on the cross in our place, saving us from our sins. In many ways, Hosea anticipated the fulfillment of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Hosea portrayed God's forgiving love with the picture of the husband and the wife. The New Testament uses the same imagery in describing Christ as the husband and the church as his bride. Hosea presents God's nurturing love in the picture of the parent and the child. Jesus unforgettably expressed this kind of love in the parable of the prodigal son which showed a father who had been waiting 
and watching for son's return from the far country, and who then races down the road to welcome him home. The healing love of God was ultimately expressed on the cross, where Jesus gave his life to, to take away the sin of the world. Hosea also foreshadows the relationship between cross and resurrection. In the previous chapter, the sayings of the prophet Hosea reek with the stench of death. Because they abandoned God, chapter 13 says, he will destroy the Israelites and will not redeem this rebellious people from death. God says, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol, which is the place of death? Shall I redeem them from death? Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your destruction? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Israel shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. The power of death is real, but in God's grace, there's a greater reality embodied in Jesus Christ. Hosea chapter 13 gives us, gives us up to death, to what we deserve. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, those very same words are transformed into the Apostle Paul's victory cry in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's more good news. Again, just because someone stumbles and loses their path, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. Notice that God addresses directly those who are hurting and who have stumbled because of their sin. While certainly there's a word of God here for those who seem to have it all together, keep in mind that the original audience was largely those for whom everything was falling apart. Think about Hosea's own life. He experienced plenty of brokenness. He experienced the pain of infidelity. He had to manage as a single parent. He probably had to deal with rebellious children. I mean, how could they have not rebelled with those names? And he prophesied in the context of the breakdown of morality in society. Yet Hosea also knew of the depths of God's love, a love that continued to love the people in spite of their unfaithfulness and rebelliousness. Hosea would have understood why Jesus associated with the broken and wounded people of society. The ministry of Jesus was the embodiment of God's promise in verse 4, he said, where he says, I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely. Hosea would have understood what Jesus meant when he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. God is not disarmed by our wounds, our sins, or our circumstances. Nothing, nothing, not our sin, not any damage caused by our sin, not even death can separate us from the love of God. 
Nothing can prevent God from being able to bring healing, life, and victory into even the toughest situations. Back in the summer of 2010, I had the privilege of attending the Presbyterian Youth Triennium with a group from Seattle Presbytery. This event takes place every three years on the campus of Purdue University in Indiana. And it was quite a memorable experience. I mean, imagine over 5,000 youth and adults uh, coming together for worship, fellowship, and fun. Worship services felt like rock concerts. I mean, it was a blast. At the last worship service, Tony Campolo preached a sermon that I'll never forget. And he told a story of a kid who, because of a terrible automobile accident, ended up losing his left arm. His father, desperately trying to cheer him up, told him that he would do anything for him. And one day the kid said, you know, Dad, I've heard that you can learn judo and do it with one arm. I'd like to learn judo. So the father uh, got him a judo master, the best one in the area, and the kid learned some moves. But after about two or three lessons, the master had him focused on just one move. And they worked on this move day after day, hour after hour. At the end of about two months, the master said, there's a tournament coming up. I want you to enter it. The kid said, you've got to be kidding. I've only been taking judo for a couple of months. Other than basic moves, I only know one really good move. And I only have one arm. But the master convinced him to give it a try. So they went to the tournament. And this one-armed kid surprised himself by somehow winning his first two matches. The third round proved to be much more difficult, but after some time, his opponent became impatient and charged. And the boy deftly used his one move to win that match as well. He couldn't believe his good fortune. I mean, still amazed by success, the boy was now in the finals. This is straight out of the movie, The Karate Kid. And he was now up against the champion. This time his opponent was much bigger, much stronger, and much more experienced. For a while, the boy appeared to be overmatched. Concerned that the boy might get hurt, the referee called a timeout. And he was considering stopping the match when the judo master intervened. No, the master insisted. Let him continue. Soon after the match resumed, his opponent made a critical mistake. He dropped his guard, and instantly, the boy used his move to pin him. And he had won the match. He had won the tournament. He was the champion. On the way home, he turned to his master and said, I don't understand this. I've only been taking judo for a couple of months now. I don't have a left arm. And I just won a tournament. How is this possible? The master said, you won for two reasons. 
First, the one move you do now is one of the most effective moves in all of judo. The second reason why you won is the only defense against that move is to grab your opponent's left arm. <laughs> That is a great insight into how God works. <laughs> when we're wounded and hurting, God is able to transform weakness into strength and death into life. We can shout, Hosanna, save us, please, with confidence, knowing that Jesus was named Savior because he could and he would save his people even at the cost of his own life. The promise is for us as well. Return to the Lord and return to life. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you and shout out Hosanna. Save us, please, because you are our Savior. You offer us real salvation. We thank you that just because someone stumbles and loses their path, it doesn't mean that they're lost forever. We thank you for offering us abundant life, life that's even stronger than concrete. Lord, bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.